0: Welcome to Notes on Feminism and the Culture Wars. My name is Bess Hungerford, and this is a podcast about politics. In this note, I'm gonna give some context for the podcast, the purpose or thesis of the podcast and then um that will include a little bit of background about myself as a feminist, and what I think feminism requires of us. So first I'll say that I don't think feminism is just an identity. I think that it is a set of ideas or values that anyone can hold. And I don't identify, I mentioned this in the interview, one with Kathy and shawnee that's Sarsana Handel and Catherine Acosta, that I do not identify as a radical feminist and the reason I don't is because I have been told that some of my ideas are inconsistent with whatever other people think radical feminism stands for. And so I am not interested. And in fact, I refuse to validate or justify my identity as a radical feminist. Knowing uh, some of the history of radical feminism, I know that many thinkers who are considered radical feminists are in direct conflict with each other on particular topics, but I'm not interested in in finding uh, consistency or, again, defending myself as a radical feminist, so I just consider myself a feminist. That does require a commitment to certain principles that I'm going to talk about, and because of these principles, I don't believe that it is right for conservative people to consider themselves feminists. I know there are some conservative women in particular who take on the identity feminist, but I don't think that it is an appropriate use of the term. So in terms of feminist principles, there are three That I'd like to talk about today, and which I think can be used to differentiate conservative frameworks or understandings of problems from feminist frameworks and understandings of problems, including their solutions. So, three things one is that feminism is anti authoritarian, feminism is anti essentialist. Feminism is community or group-focused. It is not individualizing of social problems. And all of this requires us to look at the context, the social context, the structures that we are constrained by. So, I am an atheist been an atheist since i was 11 this was a little bit shocking to my parents i am baptized episcopalian the oldest of four born and raised in syracuse new york i love snow those are irrelevant facts to my feminism but i just thought i would throw those in there um i am a graduate of a single sex women's college smith college i am a lesbian i am a married lesbian I am the non-biological mother of a child. I own the website sexnotgender.com, and I have been writing about my feminist ideas publicly, at first anonymously, and then under my real name. I write under Elizabeth Hungerford. That's my government name. That's what my law degree is. uh, You can look me up under um I am not a practicing attorney. I have a license to practice, but I don't use it and I think everyone is happy about that. So, I've been writing about feminism since about 2008. And it's sporadic. I have like 10 blogs. Some of them are not publicly available because, you know, I changed my mind. I grow and learn and one of the things that i'd like to say here is that my views on the legal situation related to uh gender identities, replacement of sex in the law has basically stayed the same over the past 10 years. I still believe that transgender people deserve protection from discrimination and even that they deserve acknowledgement, legal acknowledgement as transgender people. I don't believe that gender identity should be allowed to override or replace sex in the law as it relates to same-sex or single-sex classifications where sex matters. The way that I talk about the problem, though, has changed a lot, and the reason for that is relevant to this purpose of this podcast, which is that the right wing, the conservative Republicans here in the United States have have really latched on to the concept of being transgender to fuel and exacerbate the culture wars. And there are feminist groups who are working with some of these really super radical Christian conservatives. Um, Specifically, I'm talking about um, the Alliance Defending Freedom, the Family Policy Alliance, Concerned Women for America. These groups are really uh powerful they have a lot of resources they're very strategic and the alliance defending freedom in particular i find their about us page to be fascinating in how open it is about what they call generational wins and i went over a little bit about that in the introduction to the part 2 of interview 1 and we will continue to talk about that on the podcast because i think it's really important for us particularly as feminists who are who are sitting in a space where we are we have concerns about the use of gender identity to replace sex in law and public policy it's really important for us to know what our values and principles are so that we don't get caught up in the alarmism and frameworks provided by conservatives. As feminists, I don't want to talk about transgender people as mentally ill. Yes, gender dysphoria is in the DSM, but I believe that distress about non-conformity or non-compliance with sex-based social roles is an inevitable outcome of our rigidly role-based society. But I don't believe that transgender people are mentally ill because they experience distress about sex-based social roles. I believe that they may need help for the distress associated with that. But I don't think that they should be pathologized. I don't believe that their distress should be individualized as a conservative framework would do and say, you know, these people are just freaks. That's what the conservatives also say about homosexuality. These people are just, um, they're in violation of God's creative order and we have to convert them or. Or bring them back to God's way, because that is the, that is everyone's true and natural way, um, and and they are sick as individuals. A feminist understanding of humanity would acknowledge the beautiful and natural diversity of people in both sexuality and. For lack of a better term, gender expression, such that instead of trying to control how people identify and put them back into the boxes, we are making more space in society. We're opening up the range of acceptability for both men and women. The other thing about describing transgender people as mentally ill is that it appeals to patriarchal authority. And this is another uh, conservative understanding of the desire of some people to identify as transgender and to escape the sex-based social role as it is assigned to them based on their sex. So, rather than appealing to that authority, the authority of psychiatry to help us understand the problem. A feminist analysis, again, acknowledges the diversity of human expression and seeks to remove gender dysphoria from the DSM as homosexuality was back in the 70s. It's important that we not forget how recently that was and how recently, for example, women could not be married to each other. Women could not be mothers to their own children because they were lesbians. When I met my wife in the year 2000, she was, of course, not my wife at the time. She is now. But the idea that gay people could get married was a fantasy. It was a complete fantasy. It was a, it was a, a long running fantasy, but it was not in the realm of possibility. Many believed that we would never ever see gay marriage in the United States at least not in our lifetimes. Things have changed, but they haven't changed for very long. So using that example of understanding transgender people as mentally ill the uh individualizing the appeal to authority and even the essentializing where which is the the third conservative theme versus the feminist analysis that i want to talk about you know the idea that this arises from within the person organically that it is essential and part of them One of my favorite writings is was originally published on a shared blog called the Liberation Collective, and it's titled A Feminist Critique of Cisgender. And the point of the article, it makes several points, but it's a call for anti-essentialism in understanding gender identity, where those of us... Who are anti essentialist refuse to accept the idea that gender is natural and innate and arises from within the person. We refuse to call ourselves cisgender and refuse to allow that word to be used to describe myself because it's not true. The reason I identify as a woman is because I have always been treated like a girl or a woman in a social sense, and that's because I have a female body. And so instead of understanding gender as being essential to the self, as conservatives do, part of God's creative order, of course, and also as many liberals do, and this is the effect, I believe, of neoliberalism on everything in the world, is that many people who consider themselves left or progressive and who support the sort of unmitigated replacement of sex with gender identity are perfectly willing to accept the proposition that gender arises from within, that they are cisgender because their innate gender identity is uh, sort of oriented towards the the match that society has suggested for them and that's also a kind of essentialism to believe that you are your sort of spirit that your internal identity is in alignment with something external Instead, a feminist analysis looks to make a structural critique of the reasons why women in particular identify with the social constructs. We look at how girls and women are treated, um, what is expected of us, the social roles that we are encouraged to take up, encouraged and expected Being able to identify essentialism in any frame that is put before us about gender is really important. Similarly, being able to identify when authority is being used to control or justify or explain something that Authority is not well-placed to resolve, or perhaps that it created the problem in the first place. And, and sex-based social roles are an example of that, where one appeals to either the authority of nature or a God to explain why women are feminine and men are masculine. And then individualism. You know, being able uh, to see that the the structures around us, the social institutions, from the nuclear family to three branches of government, these are ways that our social relationships and norms are structured. And that is what a feminist analysis is focused on. It doesn't say, hey, individual, you're messed up. It says, how did society shape your desires and expectations? These are ways of differentiating conservatism from feminism. And my interest in talking about this and understanding the conservative side of these issues is very much motivated by what I have observed as significant right-wing creep. Uh, taking on of conservative frameworks by feminists and the repackaging of conservative ideas as feminist. So, the purpose of this podcast is to illuminate some of those differences and to help those people who are interested in feminist principles, feminist critique of gender and the culture wars to give us tools to have that conversation and to identify conservatism when it is before us. And it is frequently before us because there is an interest on the side of radical conservatives to support and collaborate with feminists in order to co-opt or divert feminist resistance to the excesses of a movement that believes gender identity is a sufficient substitute for sex in all circumstances. And in order to show, in order to articulate a feminist critique that is independent of and substantially different from the of the conservatives who would like to ally with feminists and have been successful in astroturfing, at least two feminist organizations. So to recap, I've used the example of a conservative framework of transgender identity as mentally ill to to illustrate the principles that uh, feminist analysis, and I and I think the analysis is informed by the principles. So uh, anti-individualism or a structural critique structures of society, critiquing the structures of society rather than individual. Anti authoritarian, so not seeking, um, patriarchal authority or higher authority to explain the social problem. In this example, this episode, uh, transgender identity, nor to control or curb it from continuing to, um, influence the general population. And then third, essentialism feminism must be anti-essentialist and that that is something there are some feminists um who i think share these other principles but might be essentialist in the way that they in the way that they believe in the divine feminine uh, that women have uh i don't even know what to call it like a innate power in their female bodies and i In the way that I'm very material, I don't believe that power exists in our minds. I don't believe that power exists as a feeling. I believe that power is about credibility and access and control of tangible resources in a social setting. So I think that's a pretty good summary of... The kinds of issues that I want to discuss, and when I mention that conservatives want to collaborate with feminists on the particular issue of transgender identity to fuel their culture wars, in my next episode, and I I promised this at the end of part two of interview one. I'm going to talk about Nancy Whittier's article um, that discusses the collaboration between Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin, two radical feminists who were actually in conflict with a bunch of other radical feminists. So just going back to my point in the beginning that um, radical feminists don't always agree with each other. Dworkin and McKinnon did not collaborate with right-wing forces in the way that we see feminist organizations doing today. Both the quantity and the quality of the collaboration is quite different. And so I'm going to talk about the framework that Whittier sets up and the, the factors to consider and the ways that collaboration can occur and why Again, what we see today is very different than anything that has come previously in part because of the nature of the right wing in America right now. The Christian nationalists are incredibly powerful in a way that they have never been in in prior historical eras. And then also just the willingness of feminists to work with conservatives um is quite different than historical parallels that people sometimes like to draw. So thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful and gives you some uh, better context for what to expect in future episodes in terms of subject matter. And thanks again for listening. I hope to see you next time.